Come, Holy Spirit, we invite you into our service. That you would come and touch each of these, your people, in a profound way. We're going to uh, pray over our offering. Uh, we don't actually take up an offering. Uh, we have a variety of ways that people can give. We have the collection boxes kind of on either side of the sound booth and then um, some instructions that should be on a chair back that's in front of you um, as well. But I just wanted to, to mention something that, you know, in the second chapter of the book of Acts, Luke tells us that the early church had a lot of people who were in need. Um, but the cool thing about that was that the church had these believers that sort of came together and um, took care of the needs. In fact, in verse 45 uh, of Acts 2, it says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now that's pretty amazing, especially when you think about the fact that those were people that probably didn't have a whole lot to begin with. It wasn't like they were all really wealthy and had big houses and uh, that sort of a thing. And they, they were sensitive to the needs of those people who were around them. They were sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit and literally sold personal belongings to help their friends who needed something. And I really think that people like that exist today, and I know there are those like that in this church. But just so that you know that when you give to our church, that a portion of those funds go to help people who have needs in this church. He uses your gifts to restore people's dignity, to give them hope, uh, perhaps food, clothing, shelter, any number of issues. And that's the really great thing is that God's inviting us to be part of the solution to the problems that other people are facing. And so whether you are here in person, whether you're watching uh, from home or somewhere, let's pray about our role today in, in serving and helping and, yeah, in financially resourcing as well anyone who has a need. So let's pray now. Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we can always trust in you. You are an abundant God, and out of your great love and your great mercy, you have given us so, so very much. As an act of our heartfelt gratitude, we give you our tithes and our offerings. With them, we worship you. We acknowledge your blessings upon us. Please now take them and use them for your kingdom and your glory. Extend and multiply their reach and their influence. May they be a great blessing to many. We ask all this. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
Well, by the time that Howard Schultz had resigned from Starbucks in the year 2000, the coffee chain was experiencing steady growth. However, just eight years later, Starbucks was reeling from a bad economy and from stiff competition. And it was at that point that Schultz came back and resumed his role as Starbucks chief executive. But he faced a really challenging mission, and this is challenging really in any industry, and that's to lead a turnaround. And he was interviewed about his return, and he commented that before the company and the management team could really move forward, they had to deal with the past honestly by admitting their mistakes. Here's an excerpt from that interview. This is Schultz speaking. He says, when I returned in January 2008, things were actually worse than I thought. The decisions we made were very difficult, but first there had to be a time when we stood up in front of the entire company as leaders and made almost a confession that the leadership had failed the 180,000 employees of Starbucks and their families. And even though I wasn't the CEO at the time, I should have known better. I'm responsible. We had to admit to ourselves and to the people of this company that we owned the mistakes that were made. And once we did, it was a powerful turning point. It's like when you have a secret and you get it out, the burden is lifted off your shoulders. Now, this sermon is the uh, second in this Lenten series we've been doing called Grounding. And as I mentioned last week, Lent is this period of time on the Christian calendar immediately before Easter that many believers use as a time to draw closer to God. And the story that I just told about Howard Schultz really illustrates one of the key ways that we can do that by admitting our mistakes, by accepting responsibility for them, and by asking for God's forgiveness. And as Schultz said, it's about dealing with the past before moving into the future. And that's exactly what we're going to see Daniel doing in today's text, which is from the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 9, verses 9, or excuse me, verses 3 through 19. But before we get into that text, I want to give you a little bit of a, uh, a version of the backstory as to how we got to the point that we're going to read about. So Daniel is in exile, and he's been studying the book of Jeremiah. And as he's been studying that, he all of a sudden realizes that the 70-year exile that is spoken of in that book has come to an end. And he realizes that the Lord had promised at that point to take his people back to Judah and to Jerusalem to fulfill his plans to do good to them and to restore them. So the fulfillment, though, of what Daniel read in Jeremiah's prophecy wasn't something that God just automatically did. It was done in response to the pleas of his people to deliver them from the exile they were in and to return them to the land. And that's exactly right where we join in the story. With Daniel reaching out to God on behalf of himself and the entire nation of Israel, and all of his people. So if you want to follow along in uh, your Bible or on your electronic device, we're in Daniel chapter 9. This is verses 3 through 19. We will have it up on the screen as well. 
So here we go, Daniel 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. It's one of the longest and most beautiful prayers in Scripture. 
In fact, it, a lot of scholars really look upon it sort of as the Old Testament's version of Jesus' prayer that he taught his disciples in uh, the New Testament. And as you read through this, I really believe that the lesson that we can draw from this is this. It's that Daniel reminds us that no matter how far we have drifted from God, we can always realign ourselves with him. Now, to realign something is to change it or to put it back to a former uh, place or position. So after you've driven your car for some number of miles or maybe if you've run into something that was hard and immovable, your wheels can get out of alignment. And so when that happens, most of us, unless you're very mechanically inclined, have got to go to a mechanic and have them realign the wheels so that the car drives properly. And it's really the same with our relationship with God. Except it's sin and it's disobedience that cause us to get spiritually out of alignment with our Father. But the thing is that we don't have to go to a spiritual mechanic to get this fixed. The power to realign ourselves with God is solely in our hands, right? So how does Daniel remind us in this passage, in this prayer that he has, of how to do that, of how to realign ourselves with God? And I think he, he shows us three things. First is that we've got to humble ourselves. The second is that we have to actually confess our sin. And the third is that we need to petition for God's favor. And so let's look at each one of those three things now. First of all, this idea of humbling yourself. So this prayer was a pretty momentous occasion for Daniel because he prayed for and he expected that his prayer was going to be answered and that Jerusalem was going to be restored along with God's holy people, the nation of Israel. And Daniel had walked with God for a long time and he knew better than to command God but rather to approach the throne of God in very deep humility. The words, I turned to the Lord God, suggest that he's got this really definitive focus in mind. He's, he's intentional about what he's doing. He's turning away from everything else in order to concentrate on who God is. And one of the things that I think we sort of lose sight of sometimes is that Often, preparation for prayer and for worship is as important as the prayer itself. Because if your heart is not right with God, then prayers are nothing more than just a bunch of pious words. A couple of months ago, you may remember that I preached about prayer. And then in the sermon, I talked about an approach to prayer that included four things. Reverence, response, requests, and readiness. And if you remember, we talked about it being sort of like the, making the sign of the cross. Reverence goes up to God. Response is how we respond to God and, and who he is. Our requests, then we're, we're in a position to when we can then offer our requests. And then finally, how are we going to move forward as a result of that? That's the readiness part. And so this idea of humility lies within these first two points, the reverence and the response. And you can clearly see this in, in the prayer that Daniel offers. Listen to this. This is where he is reverencing God. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. 
He's praising God for who he is. But now listen to how he responds to the praise that he's just given God. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wicked, wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So he's confessing the unrighteousness that the people have had. First he praises God, and then he says, but God, we've not lived up to your standards. We've not done what you've asked us to do. And so this pattern of reverence response really kind of runs throughout this prayer. You can see it in multiple places. That's just the most obvious. <clears throat> and he does this multiple times before he ever gets to his request. Something else that I think we miss. See, in humility, what he's saying is, God, you are holy and I'm not. You are holy and I'm not. In the church, and by this I mean kind of the capital C church, <clears throat> has a bad habit when it comes to prayer times. I think typically, uh, most of you have probably been in a prayer meeting where this has happened. Someone stands up before the group and says, okay, well, does anybody have any prayer requests? And, you know, hands go up and we throw out, a, you know, Aunt Tilly's got a bad knee and on and on and on. And then we just kind of launch right into praying for whatever it is that we've thrown out there. Well, there's another Daniel, a guy by the name of Daniel Henderson. <clears throat> and as he puts it, we, we start out by seeking God's hand instead of seeking God's face. But that's not at all the way Daniel started. And it's not the way Jesus taught us to start, and it's not the way we should start, especially when we're praying a prayer of repentance. So the first step, <coughs> excuse me, the first step in realignment is to properly position yourself with humility before your creator. Step two, confessing your sin. As most of you know, I grew up as a Catholic, and I went to Catholic grade school, and I went to Catholic high school, so 12 years. And um, one of the memories that I have from my elementary school years uh, was when we had to go to confession. Now, I don't remember exactly how often we had to do this, but on some regular basis, our whole class would troop over to the church and wait our turn to go into the confessional. Now, your big hope was that you didn't have to go first. Because if you didn't have to go first, it bought you some time to come up with some sins to tell the priest. So we're all standing in line, lined up. The confessional was on the wall, and we all lined up, you know, behind it, waiting our turn. And so in your head, you're doing this general review of what you'd said and what you'd done since the last time you were there. And so when it was your turn, you'd go into this dimly lit booth, and you'd wait for the priest to slide back the partition. You couldn't see who you were, but it was kind of like a, a screen. And at that point, you would say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. My last confession was whatever. And you'd launch into whatever litany of sin that you'd come up with. Oh, I lied 300 times. I was mean to my brother. Not that I, of course, was ever mean to my brother, but some people were, I hear. 
Um, and the thing is that any resemblance of what you actually did or said in this confession was purely accidental. To say that this was a thorough accounting of my sins and misdeeds would be the overstatement of the century. But the thing is, that's not the case with Daniel in this scripture. And the interesting thing I found, and this is what, where it gets interesting to look at the Hebrew words that are behind the English translation that we have. And in the Hebrew, Daniel actually uses four different words to describe the sin that he's committed. Now, I'm not going to go through them because I probably wouldn't pronounce them correctly anyway, and they're not going to be terribly meaningful for you. But I can tell you what, how they're defined. The first one means to sin by missing the mark. Uh, that is, failing to meet the expectations that are set upon you. That actually translates into the Greek in a word called hamartia, uh, which is an archery term that literally means missing the mark. Okay, so that was one, to miss sin by missing the mark. The second is to commit iniquity, which is defined as gross immorality or injustice. Third just means to do wrong or to be wrong or to act wickedly in some way. And then the fourth one means to rebel. And so what I take away from that is that Daniel knew that if his prayer was to be considered, he needed to get everything that Israel had done out in the open. Like Howard Schultz in the Starbucks story I, I told at the beginning, he wanted to get that weight, that burden lifted off of his shoulders. He wanted to get it lifted off the, the collective shoulders of the nation of Israel. And sometimes it really seems like we get this weird idea that if we don't confess something, then God really doesn't know about it. But the thing is, he does. I mean, he knows every hair on your head, among other things. And so there's really no point in trying to be coy about it. And, and, and if you don't make that kind of confession, then you actually are missing a blessing. And it's this blessing of truly unburdening yourself and being able to be free of whatever sin has been besetting you. And, and this is a key point because so many people think of these rules as uh, all for God's benefit. And while they are, in fact, for God's benefit, so many of the things that God has us do is for, our, is for our benefit as well. And we sometimes miss that, I think. And so don't hold back. When you're confessing something, put it all out there before God and receive that forgiveness and receive that freedom. That's the second part of realigning yourself with God. And then finally, it's, we come to this idea of petitioning uh, for God's favor. Now, what's really interesting about this is that Daniel did not specify what he wanted God to do. All he did was he asked that God look on the sanctuary and see the city, both which had been in desolation for years. And I think this is a, another big lesson from this part of the text. 
don't leave God out of the equation when you start asking for things. It, as I was putting this together, I all of a sudden thought of this country song uh, by Garth Brooks called Unanswered Prayers. Anybody familiar with it? Ever heard the song? The chorus of the song goes, Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember, when you're talking to the man upstairs, that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. The context of the song is that he goes to a high school football game much later in life as an adult, and he's married, and it's his old high school, and he runs into his old girlfriend, or his high school girlfriend. Then he had you know, prayed to God that he'd wanted to, to marry her and be with her all his life, and now he's thanking God that that didn't happen because he would have never met the woman he's with now. Now, are there times when we want to pray for something specific? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And it's not at all wrong to do so. But I think it's also a good idea sometimes to do what Daniel's doing. Here's the situation, Lord. What do you want to do about it? Which actually took me to another song. This one was called Do Something by Matthew West. And the first part of it goes like this. Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven and I said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. I created you. Sometimes you may be the answer to your own prayer. And so petitioning for God's favor is really the last part of getting realigned with God. Well, to close, I'm going to tell you a quick story about one of the early church fathers, Augustine of Hippo. And uh, he wrote a letter in November of uh, 409 A.D. And in this letter, he wrote it to his friend Victorian. Annas, hard to say. And he told Victorianus that Christians should follow the example of great men like Moses and Daniel when they confess their sins before God. He writes, observe how he spoke first of his own sins and then the sins of his people. And he extols the righteousness of God and gives praise to God for this, that he visits even his saints with the rod not unjustly, but because of their sins. If, therefore, this be the language of men who by reason of their eminent sanctity found even encompassing flames and lions harmless, what language would befit men standing on a level so low as we occupy, seeing that whatever righteousness we may seem to practice, we are very far from being worthy of comparison with them? Well, that language is a little bit stilted, I will admit. And so, um, if I might be allowed to paraphrase the great Augustine, I would say this. Daniel ended up with his own book in the Bible. And his prayer in Daniel 9, 3 through 19 is considered one of the best in the entirety of Scripture. I think it would be a good idea to pray like Daniel. And I was moved, 
as we were praying before the service and I was kind of thinking about the message and so forth, thought occurred to me and I, I want to go ahead and, and share that with you now. And that is we're talking today about this idea of realignment, right? Of getting ourselves realigned with God. But that assumes something. That assumes that you were aligned in the first place. And so if there's anybody who's with us today, either in person, watching, online, and you're not aligned with God, I just want to share with you that the process is pretty much the same as what we just went through for realignment. The words may be a little bit different. But you humble yourself before God. Right? You say, God, you know, I know it's, it's not all about me. I've lived like it was, but I realize it's not. You admit the fact that you, were, that you are a sinner. That you've done things, said things, wh whatever, that uh, God would find offensive. And you confess those things. And then in the petition part, you simply ask him to come into your life. That you now desire to walk with him. That you, in fact, believe that he is Lord and he is Savior. And it's as simple as that. Chip says that all the time. This is not hard. The other thing that this, this points out is that you don't have to get yourself all put together in a nice little package before you can offer it to God. If that were the case, there wouldn't be anybody before God. It's not about who you are now. It's about who you're going to become. And so if that's a decision that you've hesitated to make because you're waiting to get yourself, to get your act together, stop it's going to be a lot easier to get your act together if Jesus is walking with you through that process trust me and so uh, as I close the message I just want to pray a prayer that if you have come to a point where you've reached that decision that you truly want to give your life to Jesus that you, this is an opportunity now for you to do so and you don't, you can say it out loud, you can just pray it, you can agree with what I'm saying. There isn't any really right or wrong way to do it. As long as you go in humility before God and trust that he will do in you what he's promised. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that we don't have to be perfect and have it all together when we come before you because in fact there isn't any way that we really could but Lord in Romans it says but while we were yet sinners Jesus died for us so that's been part of this process all along and so now, I just come before you and I lay my pride down. 
I lay all those things down that I have used to keep you at arm's length. And I acknowledge that you are truly Lord, that you died for me, And I ask now that you would come into my life to make me whole and to start the process of making me holy. Give me the strength that I need to continue to walk this path. Guide me and direct me. Help me to understand how exactly to clean up all of these messy areas that I have. So I just give you thanks. I honor you as my Lord. I honor you as my Savior. And I honor you as my friend. And give you all thanks. And I do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to have a, uh, a time of communion now. And if you are, have not been with us before, there are little uh, individual servings of uh, bread or a wafer and some juice that are in underneath the seats in front of you in a little, um, a little holder. I'm going to bless our elements. And then uh, we'll take communion all together at the same time. So, on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread. And he offered it up to heaven and asked his Father in heaven to bless it. And then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take this all of you and eat, for this is my body given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Near the end of their supper time together, he took a cup from the table, and again, he asked his Father in heaven to bless it. This too he gave and shared with all of the disciples that were at table with him. And he said, take this all of you and drink, for this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, blood that was shed for you and for many, so that your sins may be forgiven. So whenever you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, do so and remember me. Lord God, we thank you for this sacrifice that forms the basis of our having a relationship with you. That through this act, through your death and resurrection on the cross, you realigned sinful man to you. So bless these elements now that they would be for us your body and your blood. We consecrate them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The blood of Jesus, or the body of Jesus given for you. And the blood of Jesus shed for you.
Lord, we pray that this meal would strengthen us, would spiritually nourish us, and help us to overcome those things which work against us and our walk with you. So we lift up our thanks and our praise to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Chip. Amen. This is, the, can we bring this mic down a little? Or the, bring the gain on it down or something? This is um, very specific, I know. <laughs> this is one of the most important times of our service where we actually want to pray for you and with you and you pray for each other. However, I believe it builds faith to hear about how God answers prayers. Amen. So I'm going to first invite Cindy up. Who, ran, who came to me before the service. Does anybody else have a testimony they want to share about how God has answered a prayer? It doesn't have to be necessarily some type of healing or anything. But if so, feel free to come up and you can share yours. But here you go. Sometimes we ask God for a miracle. And when he gives us one, we accidentally explain it away. Um, maybe through science or through just a coincidence. But I asked for a miracle about a month ago, and God answered me in a big way. And I just wanted to share that with all of you, my church family. I have to give you a little backstory to make you understand. My parents have lived with me for five years, and my mother has always been the healthy one in the house. I would go shopping with her, and I would go down two aisles and have three items, and she'd be all the way through the store and back and wondering what I was taking so long. She's fast and very, very healthy. But in January, she had a confusing incident and we took her to the, ho to the doctor and they ran some tests and they said that she had a mini stroke and that this happens to older people and this could be only one or she might have a couple um, that they really didn't know. So my dad and I kept my eye, our eyes on my mom for about a month and decided that she seemed to be okay. So they decided to go visit my sister for a week. And while she was down there, she had another one. And it was really bad. And my sister went to the hospital with her. And while she was there waiting, they asked for a DNR for my mom. Because her blood pressure had dropped to 40 over 30. And they'd given her three strong medicines and they couldn't get it up, back up. So I hopped in the car, and on my way down to my sister's house, which was five hours away, I petitioned the Lord. I asked him. I said, I know my mom's older, and I know you love her more than I could ever, and that she'd be so much more happier with you. But if I could just have a little time to tell her that I loved her and how it was important to me that she pointed me to you. I would just appreciate that. And I just, I just asked him and prayed for that. Well, when I got down there, it was too late. We couldn't go in the hospital to see her because she'd been moved to ICU. And um, they told us to go home and to call in the morning. So my husband and I went to the hotel and I just asked the Lord for peace. And he gave it to me, and I was able to sleep. 
And when we got up in the morning, I called the hospital, and the hospital said that she was thrashing around and that it would just be a little time and that they would call the family to let us come down and say goodbye. So we waited all day with my dad and called and checked on her, and there was no change. And then we called at night to talk to the nurse to see how she was doing. My mom answered the phone. She got on the phone with me and she said, I want you to come get me. They will not give me a drink and I don't like it here. <laughs> My mom had still had tubes in her nose, so they could just give her ice chips and swab her, um, her mouth. But right then and there, I knew my God had done a miracle. And she's right there to prove it. Amen. Praise God. Anybody else before we move forward? You got anything? No, right? Top that. <laughs> Everything God does is good, but <laughs> sometimes it's mind-blowing. And when you can end the testimony with, and she's right there, that's a mic drop moment for Jesus right there. So I want to invite the prayer team up. If you're going, am I on the prayer team? I'm not sure. The answer is yes. So come on up. Kyle, if you want to get on the guitar. Any of these people that are coming up will pray for you this morning. If you have a word for somebody during this time, if you're praying and at your seat and you feel God speak something to you, and you feel like you need to share that, then just come, I'll be right here, and we'll, we'll let you speak that out. Um, and if it's something from God, then great. If it's not, and it, then if it's bad, we'll correct you. <laughs> but, but you'd have to say something pretty nuts. But let's just invite the Holy Spirit. And again, every one of these people, Cindy and Andre's not up here because he's back with the kids, but they've all prayed and seen miracles and it's not because they're special it's because they just have faith and you have that same ability so this morning whatever you need whether it's for you whether it's for a family member whether it's for whatever it's for humble yourself <laughs> and just come get prayer no one's judging you because you have everything to gain when you get prayer and when you don't you literally have everything to lose what do you, what is it going to hurt i mean sometimes we get in these situations and we still don't pray we still are too prideful we're still too arrogant what what is it going to hurt what is it going to take i'm not trying to preach but i'm trying to say how many times do we have to try to fix things ourselves how many times do we have to do it our way or try to do it someone else's when before we just go, God, let's do it your way. And his way is he is our father and he wants to provide. We do have a prayer request through Facebook. Um, it looks like Janiah, I hope I'm saying that right. I apologize if I'm not. Um, Santiago wants us to pray for her father and her sister um, and her mother for healing. So I'm going to pray for that and then I'll pray. And then you can just come forward if you need to and get prayer. Father, we lift up that family situation right now. We ask that you would touch that situation, that you would intervene, that you would bring that healing, Lord, that is needed. 
Lord, whatever kind of healing it is, you are the healer, God. So we know that you can do it. And we know that you will do it. And Lord, I'm thankful for the kind of faith that makes people nervous when we make those kind of statements. Well, you don't really know. We, I know. Because everything we ask is done in the Spirit. So Lord, fix that situation. Lord, for every person in here who needs something this morning from you, who might have a sick relative, who might have a confused situation in their life, who might be sick themselves, God, let them humble themselves enough today to say, you know what, what do I have to lose at this point? Because, Lord, when you step in, everything has to change. Nothing can truly remain the same when the presence of Almighty God comes into it. So Holy Spirit, invade, invade our hearts, invade our minds, invade our souls. Lord, speak a word to someone here, Lord. It could be something that sets someone free. Give the bravery to give the word. But Lord, in this ministry time, just, just flow, just flow. We're believing you for that. Amen. So if you need prayer, you feel free. If you have a word from God, feel free. And we'll, we'll get, help you to share that.